Dudes of Kung Fu. Hey all, and welcome to episode... Dudes of Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. We fucked that one up. <laughs> Hi guys, I hope everybody's doing well. Um, Alex, how you doing, brother? Good? I've been doing good. Like I always say, every week, busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. There you go. You're, you're the busiest guy I know. Um, Alex and I really want to start the podcast off tonight by just, you know, thanking all you folks for the support. We're blown away by the number of downloads. Yeah, we're at episode five, and I just checked a second ago. We're at like nine hundred twenty-seven downloads, so we're gonna we're gonna hit a thousand very very soon, man. Yeah, this, yeah. I guess I'm. I guess this episode will make us hit a thousand downloads, and you know, it's it's just amazing. It's like you folks are fantastic, and we just want you guys to know that we re, we remember that there's people listening to these to these podcasts, and we are super grateful. Yeah, it's not just uh, our friends downloading them 800 times each. <laughs> right, exactly, right, right. Actually, get feedback from a lot of people. Uh, people have been responding really well, and uh, um, I, I couldn't have anticipated it. I thought just a couple of our friends might be interested, but the, the reach is, like, pretty pretty far. I mean, we're, we're internationally, people are listening to it, and they're, they're really um, responding very positively. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing, the amount of feedback. So, uh, Alex, what do you got going on in your life these days? Well, uh, next week I have a my my yearly summer camp that I teach in New York, um, and it's a week long. It's like six hours a day, seven days a week, and wow. all my all my schools from all over the U.S. and people from Europe or whatever they all travel to New York to come and train with me, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy. And and um, so it's the ITC the intensive training camp and um, I'm going to have Vincent Lin um, do some knife survival stuff on the weekend, but it's pretty much straight Wing Chun all the way through. And after that, on July 8th, I'm actually going to do an event at the Museum of the Moving Image, um, which is Yip Man Fact and Fiction. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's really cool. My good friend Warrington Hudlin, who um, is uh, in charge of the Fist and Sword uh, exhibition that they show at the Museum of the Moving Image. Basically, every month they show a martial arts movie or something kind of uh, martial arts related. Um, and instead of doing a movie in July, they're actually going to have me as a presenter. So I'm going to uh, show the trailer for my Yip Man documentary, which I haven't even talked about on the podcast yet. Uh, after that, I'm going to show some clips from the various Yip Man movies and then compare that to actually what happened in Yip Man's real life and discuss the uh, differences between the you know, fictional Ip Man and the real <laughs> Yip Man <laughs> and uh, discuss also how um, a lot of famous martial artists have been fictionalized in, in film as well, like Wong Fei-Hung and other people too. So it's basically a chance for me to be a Kung Fu geek for 90 minutes in front of an audience. So that's July 8th at the Museum of the Moving Image, which is in Astoria, New York. And I think it starts at 7.30. Um, but we'll probably have another podcast or two before that event actually hits. So if there's any more um, information, I'll give it to you guys. And there'll probably be a Facebook event page for that very shortly. All right, that's cool. Let's get a couple of things straight. You're always a Kung Fu geek. You're probably not a Kung Fu geek like 10 minutes a day. So this would just be <laughs> a, a, yet another extension of you being a Kung Fu geek, which right, is an awesome thing to be. Show my geekiness to a new audience, perhaps. And when we say there's Yip Man and It Man, there's also kind of like a third category. You got mm -hmm. Yip Man, the actual historical person, historical, yes. and then you have Ip Man, the Donnie Yen movies, which are kind of cool, and then you have the wannabe Yip Ip Man, who yes. you have like these kung fu instructors that walk around dressed like Yip Man, which I just think is just you know it's funny yeah, to well, get up. 
Well, it's it's very cool now to be like Yip Man. So a lot of Chinese instructors, they're kind of donning the uh, the long style Chinese clothing that that the late Grandmaster used to wear, and they've kind of almost fetishized the way he is. And the funny thing is, Yip Man was one hundred percent an original, and everyone is trying to be a copy. And that's really, I, I think, if if people learn anything from the examples of these great masters, whether you're talking about uh, Grandmaster Yip Man or Wong Sunlung or Bruce Lee or whatever. I mean, look, these people were 100% originals. Oh, and, point, you know, yeah. you, you were born an original. You don't want to die a copy. And everyone is just trying to be a copy these days. Everyone's afraid to stand up and do their thing the way these great men did themselves. I really think there's like a direct correlation by the amount of long outfits you have with how bad you are at Chi Sao. Anyway, <laughs> we can we can put that on a chart someday. <laughs> we'll graph it out and test it out scientifically. <laughs> That's awesome. So the other day, I did something really cool. Um, I got contacted. Well, we got contacted by a man named Ian Carlin, and I'm saying his first name wrong. Sorry, Ian, but I just can't say it the way you said it on the podcast. So yeah, what's up, about, what's up with you in names? You can't pronounce any names. I'm a schmuck <laughs> from Brooklyn. What you're, do you want? You're, oh, you're always apologizing anytime you <laughs> say someone's name on this podcast. <laughs> well, it's, it, he's an incredibly nice guy, but his name is spelled E-I-A-N. And I just said, oh, is your name pronounced Ian? And he said, oh, well, not really. It's pronounced this way. And I went, oh, okay, I'm going to call you Ian. <laughs> that's such a new york thing to do <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna call you whatever i want to call you anyway <laughs> but an incredibly nice guy um he has a uh, an awesome podcast named a mind for fitness which is available on uh, itunes and google play and all the other platforms that's absolutely worth listening to the guy's spot on when it comes to um you know, physical fitness and losing weight. He's a young man who's lost 100 pounds, so he's been through the ringer. Wow. And, um, you know, we, we spoke a lot about fitness. And you know what was cool about it is he actually has a JKD and Wing Chun background. And that's how he found us through the uh, through the podcast. And, you know, so it so went really well. So, so without giving too much away, because obviously we want people to listen to that podcast, what, what, uh, what kind of things did you guys talk about? Well, you know, we went through how I used to eat and live my life and the conversion I made and maybe, you know, what are some of the things that helped me trigger the switch and, um, and how I live my life now, how I eat, how I work out. And um, we talked about martial arts. Uh, he asked me a question. It was a really good question. I'm, I'm not going to. He asked me a question about. Well, how would you, what advice would you give to someone who came to you to, that wants to learn martial arts to lose weight? And I spoke a little bit about, and I thoroughly encourage people to listen to this podcast and his all of his podcasts, because I went through his podcasts. They're really good. Um, I was talking, so it's of my opinion, that martial arts are great, and they, one of the side effects of martial arts would be losing weight. Right. But we should look at MMA fighters as the model to as a martial artist that's staying in shape. So I look at like martial arts is to me is the same thing as like say hockey or soccer or any other physical activity. It's a it's an activity you do which side effect is burning calories and losing weight. But if right. you're going to work out to lose weight, then you should your workout model should be a physical fitness model. When you step into a martial arts school, unless it's a cardio kickboxing class, you're there for a martial arts purpose. And right. you, you owe your, your school, your teacher, and your fellow students the, 
the attention of detail that's needed for martial arts. You can't go in there and say, okay, well, while everybody else is hitting the pads trying to get better at jab, cross, hook, or whatever punching you do in your system, and you just say, well, I'm just here to burn calories, so I don't give a shit how I hit the pads. That, right. that's, that's being disrespectful to the school. So sure. if, you're, if your focus is to lose weight, well, then you know what? Do, uh, go, to, go to a gym. Do, hire a trainer. Do one of a thousand workouts that are out, a million workouts that are out there. Right. Join martial arts as something you love to do that will help you gain, get to your goals, but it's not the vehicle to your goals. At least that's right. my opinion. It's like saying I joined hockey to lose weight. No. Right. You, you work out to lose weight. You eat correctly to lose weight. You, you have to play hockey because you did that. And that, that's, at least that's my opinion. As a matter of fact, we will probably have a uh, segment of a, a fitness section maybe on the, one of the upcoming podcasts in the next one or two. Yeah, I would love to talk about uh, real cardio training. And one of the things I've been getting into lately is the uh, Concept 2 rowing machine, which is an unbelievable piece of equipment. And I could I could do a whole podcast just on how that thing has completely changed my um, physical fitness, my outlook, my conditioning, my even my uh, martial arts skill, all sorts of stuff. So, uh, yeah, we should definitely do that in a future podcast. I'd be interested uh, uh, to uh, discuss those things with you. All right, that, that's awesome. So, you know, let's pencil that in for like one of the podcasts coming up. Yeah, the other thing I really want to talk to, and I know this is uh, near and dear to your heart as well, is um, David Peterson, who anybody that's involved in Wing Chun knows David Peterson. And if you don't, hit his fucking phone now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's unreal. It's un... I cannot catch a break. You have a landline, man. That's old school. And we're back. And so, if you don't know who David Peterson is... Well, you know, hit pause on the podcast and Google it. He Google him. He's 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 one of the most well-known practitioners of Wing Chun from the Wong Chun Lung lineage, and um, I have so much respect. I've had respect for this man for so many years. I've been reading his um, posts on various internet forums for it's got to be twenty years. And a couple of podcasts ago, you had asked me what my favorite book was, and right now it's it's it's, it's David Peterson's. Anyway, he is. Um, they're making a documentary. Holy shit. Let me take the thing off the hook. I cannot believe this. <laughs> it's like never rings. Who the fuck calls? <laughs> I cannot fucking believe this. Stop calling. Okay, so. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm like so pissed off. It's unreal. We, we're going to have to do a blooper reel, which is just your reactions every time the the doorbell or the phone rings because they're <laughs> freaking priceless. Just like nothing but those clips of you. It, those, those would be great. Well, you know, I realize I'm also half annoyed that I have to actually get up out of the chair and walk over there. <laughs> yeah, it's I like, know. I feel so bad. I got to burn a fucking calorie. It's not what, And it wasn't planned, you know, so. That's right. Oh, my God. I fucking hate things sometimes. So David is working on a uh, documentary on the great Wong Chang Long, the king of talking hands. And um, he, they're, they're doing a fundraiser. They've, ra they've raised almost all the money they need, but they still need more. And, you know, they want you to know that uh, this is the real deal. This is a genuine, full-length Hollywood standard documentary. You know, and, it, and it's made for love and for respect, not for profit. And they... Um, They've had to fight a lot of naysayers, and they've had a lot of people rooting against them. But um, if you know anything that David 
Peterson does, you know that he does it top-notch. And um, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. And we're asking everybody to listen to the podcast. If you can just go on Facebook, go to search for Wang Chung Lung Fundraising Appeal. That's their page. And we'll have a link to it from our Facebook page. And if you can donate $5 to anything, anything that you can donate is greatly appreciated. And um, I, I think anything that gets done that's positive for this documentary is positive for anybody that studies the arts. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I've had a couple um, just very brief uh, chats with uh, David Peterson through uh, Facebook. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet, but we do have a mutual friend named Bay Logan who's a uh, um, producer in Hong Kong and uh, has told me a lot about the project as well. Um, yeah, you know, um, kind of as a Westerner who, who learned from a from a famous Chinese Sifu, I kind of understand there's a, a huge undertaking when you uh, learn from um, somebody who's, you know, has a name in, in an art or whatever, but they're not necessarily Western. And you kind of, at some point, either take it on yourself or maybe the uh, position's almost thrust upon you to be the kind of mouthpiece for the Western world, I guess, for these great, um, you know, Chinese teachers, because um, one of the problems is that a, a lot of the Chinese guys, they, they, they don't necessarily uh, take up big monumental projects like these, like uh, my Yip Man documentary or David Peterson's Wong Shenlong documentary. Um, and I think that it's, it's a tremendous undertaking. And if there's anybody who's qualified to do that for the Wong Shenlong system, it's absolutely David Peterson. And I think that, um, you know, from what I've seen, it looks, it looks absolutely fantastic. And yeah, if anybody can um, go there and donate and help support the project, I think that would be uh, uh, more than worthwhile. So, so definitely check it out. And, and just as an aside, it's a little bit silly, but I just, so I've never met uh, David Peterson either, but I did learn something from him. And he has no idea that I've learned this, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the martial arts. This has to be 15 years ago. We had a uh, thing going back and forth, back and forth on some internet form. It may have been mine or one of the other internet forms that we both frequented. And it was so silly, but he wrote something about, uh, and when an instructor does this, he or she should. And it sounds so silly, but I was looking at it, and I said, he or she? I never even thought of an instructor as a female. Because it was like 15, 20 years ago, and I'm some schmuck from Brooklyn, right? And to me, all martial arts instructors were like these big men, you know? And I'm like, wow, I've been like leaving out 50% of all martial artists in my head. And sure, since sure. that day, I, whenever I write anything, I always say he or she. Wow, interesting. So there, there is progress after right, all. Right, <laughs> exactly. I learned. <laughs> It's amazing. Anyway, I know it's a silly thing, but I just it's stuck in my head for like 15 years. And yeah. and I, I I'll, and I'll never forget it, you know. So, uh, one of the first topics we want to talk about is um both Alex and I receive tons of phone calls from people. You know, well-meaning people that just have questions about Wing Chun or Chi Kune Do or Bruce Lee or whatever. And sometimes we have time to talk and sometimes we don't. And um, recently, I was chatting with a Wing Chun practitioner, in fact, not too long ago. And he had me thinking, because he said he was a Wing Chun practitioner, but it turned out he was really a JKD guy. And then it turned out he was really like a wannabe JKD guy. But like, are, are we seeing the JKDing of Wing Chun? And what I mean by that is, you know, with the advent of YouTube and all the other resources out there, it's no great shakes to learn how any system any lineage does its forms. 
And when I had asked him, oh, you know, what, what lineage in Wing Chun do you practice? And I was only asking that just so I can understand where his, his, his perspective of the question may be. Right. He said to me something like, um, oh, well, I do uh, this instructor and this instructor's Chum Q, and I do the, uh, separate instructor's Buji, and I like this, you know, Wang Shang Long's Mukyang um, Zhang, except he called it the dummy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, whoa, you mix and match forms? And he's like, yeah, he goes, you know, I really like the way this person does their, you know, Sunim Dao, and I really like the way this person does their Buji, and, and I was thinking, like, wow, this is pretty moronic, but okay, you know, I guess if this is what floats his boat, and by the way, the reason he asked me was because he likes um, Moyat, I said Moyat Wing Chun, he likes Moyat's um, Chamkyu, which uh, I wish I could take credit for Pete Pahil's uh, Moy Bonwa, his um, Chamkyu video that he has on YouTube, which I think is, you know, incredible. And, um, you know, so that's why he was asking me a question about uh, Chamkyu, why, why do we do it wrong? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> throw that in there. But, uh, you know, what are some of the problems you see with this uh, way of looking at uh, Wing Chun, Alex? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, or do you as fully they... endorse it? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I, I'm all for teaching yourself anything you want on YouTube and doing whatever the hell you want. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, like we like to say in America, hey, it's a free country. You can do whatever the hell you want to do, right? Um, I mean, I have no problem in principle with people teaching themselves video kung fu and mix and matching and doing whatever they want um so long as they're not training in my school or they're not representing me or anybody i care about <laughs> to any right. certain degree um well i mean i think yeah like, like you, you had an interesting phrase the jkding of wing chun right and i think by jkding we don't mean real jeet kune though we right, know i mean the morons what's happened i think to, what's mix happened it all up right yeah um thinking it of it as more an eclectic kind of idea well i mean i think look uh i'm a pretty open guy i'm i'm very modern i'm very progressive but to uh, but i'm also a very traditional uh kung fu practitioner as well and i think that um well certainly from the traditional side of things it's 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 flat out totally disrespectful to the respective lineages to do something like that. Now, one can argue whether that matters because it's just Chinese tradition, but there's something a little bit deeper in there. You know, if you follow, let's say, you learn Moyat Siunim Tao, right? Well, Moyat Siunim Tao is the foundation for the Moyat system. Therefore, the Chumkyu form that belongs to the Moyat system then follows in line with the basics that were learned in the Moyat Siunim Tao, right? Which just lays the foundation for the Buji and so on and so forth, right? So um, although there's no agreement in terms of, you know, which is the quote unquote correct way to do it within the Yip Man lineage at this point, you, there, really is no, there, there really is no Yip Man Wing Chun, right? <laughs> there really is no Yip Man Wing Chun. You have Moyat Wing Chun and Wong Sun Lang Wing Chun exactly and Lang right. Wing Chun and William Chan Wing Chun, right? So uh, in order to follow uh, the kind of line of thought, you know, it makes sense to learn that within one lineage. Now, whether you decide at some point you're going to move on and go to something else or you're going to experiment or do this or whatever, I think you at least deserve the respect, you at least deserve 
or should give that style or that lineage the respect it deserves by trying to at least learn it to some degree of competency before you decide that, oh, well, actually, this guy's Bugie works better here, uh, but I like this wooden dummy here because that's kind of a really ridiculous way of looking at it because it, it's, it's, a lot like, uh, it's a lot like trying to build a car with random car parts. It's like, sure, you can put truck tires on a Corvette frame with a uh, Porsche engine and, and a <laughs> Subaru uh, um, you know, body kit or whatever, and you might even be able to get the thing to drive down the street. But whether it's actually going to perform as a, a, a proper race car or, or even just as a proper street car. Right, perform as uh, you initially intended it to. Exactly. It's like just because you like these certain truck tires, but you like the Corvette body frame does not mean that they should be put together. And I think that that's the problem because so many people, they learn Wing Chun superficially. They think it's just, it's just a matter of learning the forms, learning a couple drills, and okay, I got this, now on to the next thing. So since they already have such a low opinion of what it actually means to really learn Wing Chun, they think that it's a matter of mixing and matching. Now imagine somebody learns the, um, let's just say for the sake of argument, learns uh, like a Leung Shang Siunam Tao, right? And a Moyat Chumkyu, and then uh, William Chang Buji, all right? Now, if this person actually needs to apply these things at will in a fight or in chisa or in training, well, which one are they going to use? Because these three systems, while they have a lot of similarities, still have enough differences that, hey, there's a difference in body structure to the way William Zhang does something compared to somebody else. So when you're suddenly attacked and you have to make a very quick reaction and you don't have time to think, well, which one are you going to do? Are you going to have your weight on the back leg? Are you going to use a 50-50 body <laughs> structure? Are you going to move to the side? Are you going to step straight in? If, if you keep bolting on all these random bits, you're not going to make yourself a streamlined, efficient martial artist. You're just going to make yourself a really clunky beater car that doesn't know how to move and can't, uh, can't do anything. And that's my opinion on that. I, I agree. I, 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 the example I gave the gentleman... In fact, several times I've given one gentleman that I know is if you look at um, Wing Chun as a pie, and just because I love pizza, we'll call it a pizza pie. <laughs> All right, and, but say you look at it, just a, a pie, and how each and let, let's just assume for the sake of argument that. All the lessons found in Moyat Wing Chun are found in uh, Lung Ting's Wing Chun are found in Wong Shang Long are found in all the different lineages. Let's just assume that to be true. How they break up the the information is how is through the, the teaching of the forms and the related lesson plans around those forms. And if you're going to sit there and say, okay, so. I'm going to take a piece of this pie and a piece of this pie and a piece of that pie and then try and put them together. They kind of just don't fit as a pie anymore. Right. You know, so you, you, you end up hurting yourself. Other yes. things I want to learn from other systems. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, quite frankly, I, I'm, I'm, I want to learn a lot about the Wong Chun Long Wing Chun. I'm intrigued by it. I really, I just am. And, you know, I'm also very intrigued by what you do. You know, but um, you went and put your freaking school on the fourth floor, so that's just like. <laughs> well, at least you admit it's the fourth floor now. Last week, I think it was the seventeenth floor. Right. Well, <laughs> as I lose weight, the floors get lower. Good. You so know? it's progress of a sort for sure. Right. So at some point, I'll be saying, since you're down in the basement, um, <laughs> I just kind of feel like you're hurting yourself by doing it that way. You're hurting yourself. 
I I kind of like the way the forms these uh, the way the information has been presented to me by my 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 my, my teacher um, Tom Kagan is are how the forms are interrelated and one of the things that we spend time on talking with and thinking about and and, and going over are common threads that run throughout the forms so just as a as a as an example hand replacement and we'll spend time looking at hand replacement found in the three empty hand forms and why they're that done that way and in, at least why they're done that way in our system and in our opinions and i kind of feel like when you do this whole mix, mix and match thing it may look good to you it may even feel good to you but you're missing out on on, on lessons so and an example i had with actual with an actual friend of mine was i have a friend of mine who does um William Chung's uh, Buji. And he does William Chung's Buji because the way when he turns into, you know, the, the elbows coming over the top, they come off on an angle that doesn't make you feel off balanced. And in, and he feels in the in the Moyat lineage Buji that you go off balance. And it's it's a valid it's a valid argument. It's a valid, hey, I feel off balance when I do this way, but I don't feel off balance when I do this way. So when you sit down and you think about it and you say, hey, you know, he doesn't feel off balance doing that way. Maybe he should do it that way. And, and you know, at first when he came to me with, with that, I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense in a way. But then I thought about it. The reason, one of the reasons we do that, in Moyat, one of the reasons we look at it like that, at least how I've been learn, learning Moyat Wing Chun, is you... Buji to us is all about recovery. You're recovering center line, recovering structure, and recovering balance. And if you're turning that way and losing your balance, you need to learn A, how to turn without losing your balance, and B, if you do lose your balance, what's the best way to recover from it? Right. So you're missing out on that, on what we consider important lessons taught in that form. Absolutely. And, and I also think re recovery in general and, and also um, something that a lot of martial artists, they, they, they totally skip over. They say something, oh, well, I don't feel balanced when I'm doing this. Well, um, most of what you practice, you should be balanced and you should be powerful. But as martial arts, you also have to practice things in less than optimized positions because uh, when you're in a fight, you're not necessarily in an optimal position because, well, you normally shouldn't be fighting anyway. So right. what happens if you're standing with your weight on the back leg, someone attacks you or you're down tying your shoes and someone tries to kick you in the face or whatever. If everything we practice is always from an optimized position, then why I don't put on shoes. I have to tie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then what happens when, when you're put in a position when you're a bit compromised. And I think the last thing I want to say about this topic is, is this, it's one thing to say you, you practice with uh, William Chung for 10 years or you practice with one of his students and you learn that lineage. And then you go on and you practice with uh, one of Wong's and Leung's guys for, for a period of time and you really learn this stuff to some kind of detail. Then you might have a more valid argument about saying, about judging the merits of different styles because you actually went and learned them from qualified experts. But when people teach themselves the form from YouTube, and then qualify that as saying, well, I know William Chang's Buji because I learned it from YouTube, or I know Wong Chen Lung's wooden dummy form because I, I taught myself the video of him doing it. It's, it's pretty pompous to think that just by imitating someone's physical movements, you understand the essence of what's contained in their form. 
because I think everyone knows you've seen your Sifu do the form. And then when your Sifu starts teaching it to you, you go, oh, man, I had no idea that this was going on. I had no idea that was going on. And through YouTube, there's no way in hell you can get any of those lessons. And would somebody with an honest face, if, if the great Wong Chimeleung were, were, were to come back today and they taught themselves his wooden dummy form from YouTube, could you go up to Wong Chimeleung and, and tell him, oh, I learned your wooden dummy form by watching the video? I mean, would you really have the balls to say something like right. that and really believe it? And, and, and you really think that just imitating some physical movements means that you even have one one hundredth of the understanding of somebody who actually learned it from a qualified source, not not even talking about what the source itself knows. You know, I mean, it, it's it's really presumptuous and pompous, and I think it's it's really making Wing Chun look kind of stupid to think that you can just bolt on stuff you taught right. yourself. Right. It's, it's it's why the system it's it's why it's called kung fu and not uh, form memorization. Kung fu <laughs> is hard work, and like I said before on on this podcast, it's in my opinion, Wing Chun is not learned in the forms. Wing Chun is learned in the drills because that's where the hard work takes place. You know, it's not form memorization. It's hard work. And, um, and that's where you'll learn your... Uh, you, you, that's where the Kung Fu takes place. Absolutely. So, Alex, well, we, we, uh, we have a question this week. Um, Carlos Gonzalez asked, uh, I have a question on the creation myths of Wing Chun. Many claim it comes from Shaolin, but it's a fusion of Fusion White Crane and Emi Juan 12 shape boxing. If I said that wrong, I apologize. Um, if this is true... It was perfect pronunciation. Really? I, see, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I, secret, I secretly speak Chinese. Why do some continue to peddle the Shaolin creation myth? And uh, well, like I said, before I throw this off to Alex, I want to say that uh, why not? It's fun. It's a cool story. And that's what their Sifu's told them. That's why they do it. And some people are concerned with the history, some are not. But uh, for, the real, for the real answer for your question, it's, it's let it be all Alex and jump on that, brother. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, look, I mean, people like these kind of uh, stories and these legends and these myths and so on and so forth. Um, and, of course, the simple answer is, well, these things get peddled because that's what their Sifu told them. And, of course they're going to pass on what their Sifu told them. And, and this thing kind of goes on and on in perpetuity. And of course, every, every generation is going to add a little something and change a little something here and there. Um, but truthfully, this, this whole business about the um, Wing Chun being a, a, a fusion of a Fukien White Crane, which is a very traditional uh, martial arts system from the Fukien region and the Western style of uh, Erme or Ime, um, which is an internal, very narrow body, snake, um, snake body style. Um, this is actually relatively new. And, and these are things that have come to light by uh, research by people like uh, uh, Hendrik Santo, who, who has a, um, a lot of really fantastic videos on YouTube where he discusses the history of Wing Chun and, and his research and so on. But this is actually pretty new um, that this kind of story has come out. Uh, the, the Shaolin, you know, the Shaolin stories are very problematic. Um, whether there really was a Southern Shaolin temple still remains to be seen. When you tell this to martial artists uh, who practice Chinese Kung Fu, they, they get really upset. I mean, honestly, they get really butthurt about it because if you tell them that um, maybe there was no Southern Shaolin temple, maybe it didn't exist, maybe these are fairy tales, uh, they feel somehow personally attacked. Now, I mean, look, we love Wing Chun. Uh, Wing Chun is here regardless of what its origins were, 
does it really matter to you if if 10 years down the line we find out that Wing Chun is actually a, a, a who knows a Mongolian style which was a fusion of African indigenous fighting arts which somehow made it to China through Marco Polo you know what I mean would you suddenly go all right well then forget it I can't do this because uh, I was you know I can only do Wing Chun if there was some kind of Shaolin uh, connection or myth or whatever I mean honestly it doesn't change anything about the art today or where the art is going uh, if we find out that some of the things we've been told in the past are not true. So truthfully, it really doesn't matter. And this uh, story about the um, this this fusion of the white crane and the Hermes is, is kind of the latest thing that's come out. So uh, it still remains to be seen whether this is actually the, the, the true story. I mean, from what I've read and from what I've seen, uh, it seems to make the most sense. But again, just because something makes sense doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Um, and, and so we still, we still need to see. Now, something that's very interesting, for the longest time, as people who practice Wing Chun know, we have the, the the story of the nun and teaching, you know, the, the poor girl in Wing Chun and, and then, you know, the style gets kind of passed down uh, generation to generation there. I mean, if you if you listen to the story, there's a lot of there's a lot of red flags that make the story seem somewhat unbelievable. Um, first of all, the nun Mui, this, the, the name Mui doesn't actually sound like the type of name a Buddhist monk or a, a female uh, uh, nun would have. It's, it's not a typical name for uh, uh, for Buddhists. Buddhists take these very special names which don't have really have attachments. The name Moi literally means five dots. So this is a name that actually has some kind of worldly meaning. It doesn't make sense that a Buddhist nun would actually have a name with some kind of worldly meaning. It also doesn't make sense that a nun would be in a monastery. People forget a monastery is for monks, which are men. So what is a female doing there? Already She's the having story's- a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. Already the story's a bit fishy, right? Um, However, there's a lot of evidence to uh, suggest that uh, the name Yim Wing Chun and the name Moi are kind of code names and, and are kind of embedded or secret language which was used by uh, the Hongmun, which are the original societies who created these Chinese martial arts to begin with. They didn't want the government to know what they were doing, so they created a lot of these fanciful tales to kind of hide their origins and hide what was really going on. So that's why uh, these stories were purposely created to um, throw people off the real story to begin with. And now they're already 200, 300 years old. So, I mean, these are already fictional stories from the get-go that have been passed on from generation to generation. Most of Grandmaster Yip Man's students, they believe the fairy tale origin story. And so it, it's really difficult because if you meet a student of Grandmaster Yip Man, you would, uh, of course, assume that they know what they're talking about because this is a student of the man, right? And, and what they're going to say goes. But the fact that they learned Wing Chun from a famous master doesn't mean they're a historian, doesn't mean that they've actually checked the veracity of the, the, the facts of, of, or the historicity of what's been told to them. But they will tell you it's 100% true solely on the fact that that's what their Sifu told them. So unfortunately, in Chinese martial <laughs> arts, we're kind sure. of constantly going against this. Uh, you know, the, the inquiry to find out the truth is always somewhat being pushed down by the fact of, well, Sifu told us this is the story and that's good enough. The other problem we have, and this is the last thing I'll say, is there are new lineages and new stories that are coming up seemingly every year. 
And most of these things are marketing ploys and marketing tactics for certain martial arts instructors to say, all right, well, people are kind of tired of Yip Man Wing Chun. Well, guess what? We found this totally new lineage no one has ever heard about. And guess what? It's even more original than the other one. And uh, now you got to pay me a bunch of money to uh, learn this style from me. And then once everyone, uh, uh, you know, it kind of preys on the credulity of martial arts students. And once everybody gives all their money to learn that style, well, actually, guess what? I just found a new lineage and it's even more super duper original than the last one I taught you. <laughs> and now you have to learn this. So we always have to kind of pay attention to what's just marketing hype and what's actual truth. And when it comes to truth in Chinese martial arts, uh, this is a really muddy and difficult subject because uh, most martial arts history, especially concerning Wing Chun, was not written down. Most of it is oral history. And, you know, you can't even tell a consistent story of what you did when you were five years old. Now you're telling a, a, a story that is, you know, 30 times passed through that's 250, 300 years old. Uh, you can forget it. Most of what we think actually happened back then is total bullshit. And one of my good friends in Chinese Kung Fu uh, uh, told me, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a very famous Kung Fu master, a Chinese guy, not in Wing Chun, but he's another Kung Fu, uh, another Kung Fu style. He goes up to me and he goes, you know what, Alex, most of Chinese Kung Fu history is bullshit. And that pretty much is how I look at it for the most <laughs> part. And when a Chinese Kung Fu master tells you that, uh, and he comes from a Shaolin style, which is very embedded in their own history. When he tells you that, you can rest assured, uh, you can pretty much forget it. Just focus on learning the art and let the politicians fight about the uh, history of it. Right. I, mean, I look at, you know, even like Jeet Kune Do was arguably uh, created, invented, whatever word we're going to use today, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, here it is 40-odd years later, and most of the history involved with the art is just like you say it's pure bullshit and everybody has their own interpretation of what happened back you know in 1968 69 sure including people who are in the same room together you right, can't even exactly get right it's so, exactly so, right so they can't even agree on that stuff in jeet kune do so on guys that are, that are still alive that were there back then 35 years ago you can only imagine about stories from you know, two, three hundred years. Yeah, forget it. It's all it's all nonsense. You know, how, how many things were tweaked and changed just to make a point across. And, you know, it's 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 so like I said earlier, it's all about, you know what? It's a cool story. And people have have um, wrapped these analogies and meanings to the story. And it just becomes a way of passing down. Uh, dogma it becomes a way of passing down an idea. Oh well, why is Wing Chun, you know, good for old people to learn? Well, it was created by a nun. It was, you know, and it was. Yeah, taught... It's a great marketing pitch. For sure, it is. It's a great marketing pitch. It really is, and um, it's it it kind of you know it's just it works. It, the, the story works, so people roll with it, and that's kind of what that's all about, you know. Definitely, definitely. So. Uh... I think uh, you were also going to talk about some uh, Jeet Kune Do fighting tactics and strategy on this uh, on this podcast, right? Yeah, but you know what? I'm not now. Yeah, I want to, um, but I want to say it's not Jeet Kune Do. It's it's in my head it's Jeet Kune Do, but I kind of feel like I was thinking about that today. I was like, you know, I said I want to do some Jeet Kune Do fighting strategy, but you know what? It's really just fighting strategy, and 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 how my approach is to it. So uh, what I want to talk about is um, one of the major major problems I see in Jeet Kune Do, and this is just from watching 
videos of people putting up that people put up on YouTube and get-togethers that I've been to and I you know talk to friends and especially on Jeet Kune Do forums and Facebook groups which I literally, literally just want to put a bullet through my head when I when I read some <laughs> of the it's just the, the the amount of bullshit involved in Facebook groups is 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 stunning um so one of the major problems I see is Jikindo practitioners seem to be that there's a lack of understanding when it comes to tactics and strategy. You know, strategy is, to me, one of the most important things in Jikindo. And, and I say that because, not because it happens to be what I'm interested in. I say that because that's what Bruce Lee said. Like I've read here in that paragraph before, my mind is made up to start a system of my own. I mean a system of totality. This is, by the way, a letter from Bruce Lee to Taki Kimura. A system of totality embracing all, yet guided with simplicity, will concentrate on the root of things. Rhythm, timing, distance, and embrace the five ways of attack. The five ways of attack are a, is a strategy. It's a series of tactics. And quite frankly, so are rhythm, timing, and distance, even if they're not taught that way by your Sifu. Timing is strategy. Distance is strategy. Rhythm is strategy. When people, when, when, when you hear Jeet Kune Do people, and Jeet Kune Do people that know what they talk about, talking about, say things like, oh, they're working on their footwork. They're not working on step and slide and slide step and circle step and other bullshit that you've been taught. That's, that's just not what they want that Footwork is code work for strategy, for breaking rhythm. So all, everything we do is based on strategy. And I'll hear people say like, oh, yeah, well, I, I was on, I belonged to one Facebook group. And at first I thought it was, you know, well-meaning people, and I'm sure you know they may may very well be well-meaning people. But there was a oh, question. On my, it. my opinion, and most people on Facebook groups are not well-meaning. Right, well, anyway. <laughs> okay, so there's a hidden agenda to the group, but I I didn't want to. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, it's you know they're a bunch of morons. Um, <laughs> so I see a question one day. What's your favorite way of attack? And I'm saying, wow, that's the dumbest question I've ever seen on Facebook, and I've seen yeah. some dumb questions. You know, if people get up there and they say, like, you know, I'm going to try progressive render at the attack and see if it works. Oh, nope. I got punched in the face. Didn't work. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Let me try attack by drawing. I'll see if that works. Nope. That didn't work. Sorry, folks. That's not strategy. That's attack by stupidity. Sure. There, there is a series of strategy in Jeet Kune Do. The five ways of attack are there for a reason. Progressive render at the attack, hand, hand immobilization attack, attack by combination, attack by drawing. S simple direct attack. These are real things, real strategy, real tactics. And you don't try it to see if it works. You know, as the, there's, there's times to use strategy. You know, you don't just randomly throw shit out there and see if it works. Um, one of the things and a little bit of help I can hopefully offer is we need to develop an ability in Jeet Kune Do. As a fighter, as a practitioner, as an instructor, as whatever you are, whatever you, however you see yourself in Jeet Kune Do, you need to have the ability to read your opponent's intentions, to understand his tells. You ever play poker with some with, with a bunch of your friends, and there's a, sometimes there's a one guy who just doesn't lose because yeah. he can he can read people, he he can read your tells. He knows who does this, who says that when they have a good hand, and say this when they have a bad hand. We all have little tells that we don't mean. And as JKD is, we have to do three things. We have to be able to learn and re, you know, read our opponent's tells 
and have a course of action on a way of using those tells against them. Also, and as important, we have to be aware of our own tells. What do we do that gives away our intentions? And then once you get to know what you do, how can you manipulate our tells to give false information to our opponent? You know, just because you do something, it doesn't mean your opponent could even pick up on that. So, like, say you do something really stupid, like breathe in right before you throw a punch. And we've all seen a thousand guys in every martial arts school that do that. They're moving around like they're Muhammad Ali, and right before they throw a punch, they go, <gasps> boom, and they throw the punch. I mean, these guys literally that make a noise. <gasps> boom, and they throw the punch. It's, you know, and they have this awesome tell. And if you have an opponent that can pick up on that, well, then you're going to get hurt a lot. Right. And so you need to be able to use these tells and give your opponents false information. And a tell could be anything, you know. Um, they're both sometimes physical and emotional. Um, they could be an audible tell. Some guys will stamp their foot before they move, things to that effect. People yep. will pause right before an attack. They'll be moving around, like I said, like Ali, they're moving around. And then right before they're about to launch their attack, they stop. They just take this like momentary pause and then launch their attack. It's they, you know, some people call it a get set motion. You know, they like moving around perfectly, then they get set to go. Uh, some people have breathing habits. They suck in air or hold their breath right before an attack, and you know they'll indicate or they'll they'll do things that indicate what they're going to attack with. You'll see guys literally like lower their stance a little bit, hike up their pants, things to that effect, and you know what's coming. Hey, but didn't Bruce Lee hike up his pants? Hey, and this is the effing problem. Bruce Lee hiked up his pants. Bruce Lee had the duck face going on. And now every picture of every JKD guy, like, they hike up their pants and they do the whole thing with their fingers. That looks like that Hawaiian hang loose bullshit. Right, right, right. But I think, Sean, like, all this stuff you're saying is great. But I I just need to tell you, I really like Attack by Combination. And I I, I just (laughs) like it. So, you know, whatever. It sounds very academic to me. I'm just going to do what I like. <laughs> right. And, and you know what? And that's awesome. Buy a really good mouthpiece. Sure. I also, <laughs> I, I also really, really like to mix and match forms, by the way. Right. This, exactly. is, the same, this is the same problem. It is the same problem. Like, so let, let's think about what we, what, what we can do here, okay? What, what, what am I talking about? Picture you moving around with an opponent. And he or she is, he or she, see, that's right, David Peterson. I wrote he and she right here in my note. <laughs> and he or she moves their lead leg out a little bit, opens their stance, shifting their hips a little bit, and then they unconsciously hike up their pant leg. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know a real leg kick is coming. And then they kind of quickly suck in some air and they make this, like, stupid face. Like they're, you know, trying to build up power. Right. And then you know, you know what's coming. And, in fact, you, know, you not only know what's coming – you know when it's coming. And if you can't do something about that, well, then you don't deserve to call yourself a martial artist. But if you can read people and read what's coming on and understand what's, being, what's junk being thrown out at you, what's a fake tell, and what's a real tell, you can really learn to control an opponent. You have to understand things. You have to spend time thinking. People tell you, oh, you think too much about martial arts. Yeah, you know what? The people that say that are knuckleheads. Sure. You know, yeah, I'm sorry, but there's martial arts and then there's university level martial arts. And if you want to understand tactics, you have to have a brain in your head. 
You know, it's like, yeah, I know everyone likes to think that they've reached some sort of level of no mindedness. And, you know, um, I don't hit. Uh, that's my favorite one. The whole Bruce Lee thing. I don't hit. It hits all by itself. Give me a fucking break. It hits all by itself. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. You've watched Enter the Dragon 18,000 times way too much. Or, oh, I just respond like an echo or other bullshit like that, you know? Well, I mean, some of those statements might be alcohol-induced, in which case they would actually be true. Right, well... <laughs> I don't hit it. hits all by itself after a few beers. And I think, <laughs> wouldn't it be what Bruce Lee would be opium-induced? Oh, no, that's Wayne Chen. Right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. Don't get those mixed up. <laughs> Each right, Bruce artist. Lee was hashish, right? That's what it was. That's right. That's right. Wing Chun is opium. Right. So like, yeah. what I was going to say is, you know, you may feel like you have this sixth sense. Oh, I'm going to just let it hit by all by itself. And that's why I've done Shi Sao last, for, you know, 1,800 hours the last month. Mm. It's, it, it leads people to believe they, they've developed this sixth sense. And that's fine. And maybe they have. But don't give up on the other five senses. Don't give up on this idea of what you see and hear. You know, seeing and hearing will tell you a lot. And... and and, and I, w I wanted to share a, a quick drill with you guys that I, I always teach, especially with, uh, I was going to say with new people, but you know what? I do it with everybody. It's this really simple drill. And it's really simple to describe. And, uh, and it's one of my favorite drills to describe to people. Say you're the coach, okay? We're going to call you uh, Grandmaster of all things Jeet Kune Do, And we'll just pick a name out of a hat. Your name is Alex. I love that title. <laughs> So we, we're going to take Alex, who's the super, the super Jeet Kune Do instructor. Love it. And he, he stands up in front of the class. And he has the class kind of get around in this little semicircle. And he tells them, okay, when you see me move, just fire out a finger jab. Just fire the finger jab at the level of my eyes as kind of just like this little response to a, a movement. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Alex will start off with these big motor movements. Big wide roundhouse type kicks, big John Wayne type hooks. And the second the student sees these big ass techniques coming at him, they whip out that finger jab. And then what Alex does is slowly and progresses over time to making the movements smaller and smaller and smaller. And as he's doing that, you'll see the finger jabs coming out quicker and quicker because they're learning to read the, the, the tiniest of tells. And which is a great thing. It can lead to problems because you have to be able to learn now what's a fake and what's a real technique. And that's a whole nother lesson in and by itself. But if you really want to get really good at intercepting, if you say you were a Jeet Kune Do guy and you want to uh, be, you know, king of the intercepting fist or whatever, however you see yourself, you need to be able to intercept. You know, my, my Sifu, uh, Steve Golden, had a term for this... You know, 20 years ago when I first started learning from him, and uh, he came to New York for a seminar, and he used a term that I loved, and I, I, I still use to this day. I don't know if Steve still used it, but I still use the term. Uh, motion on intent. And the whole idea was you wanted to hit him, your motion takes place, when the intention of him hitting you enters your head, enters their head. Once they start thinking about hitting you, you should be hitting them. Right. And, and that's, this drill will get you there. This drill will get you to the point where you eventually you'll see the coach, um, Super Superman Alex, will wow, literally. He keeps getting better every time. Well, uh, keep it up. I'm gonna start calling you Aquaman Alex. <laughs> no man. 
<laughs> once the coach literally will just start making a fist. And the, the, the second of I'm making a fist, the finger jab will fly out. And then you can work different timings and everything. But it's, it's just, you know, someone had to ask me, someone had sent me a message saying, hey, can you give us a drill or two? A drill is tough to do on a podcast, but I want to share a drill with that I thought was important. And, um, and I'm hoping you guys can get uh, some use out of it. Yeah, that was great. Uh, actually, I've done similar exercises like that in my Wing Chun class as well. So it's funny. We end up finding a lot more parallels and things in common the more we discuss this. It's really cool. Well, I really think it is cool. And I really think, you know, there's two things. One, people know that you and I are friends. and um, But they, I don't think they realize that we've never really worked out together. That's we, right. You know, it's just because Alex can't keep up with me physically. But, you know, we're going to... <laughs> well, hey, by by the time I make it to your place in Staten Island, I'm physically exhausted. It's like it's like traveling the, the old west. So by the time I, I have to go five modes of transportation to make it out to your place. This is why I moved here. You know, just like you moved to the fourth floor, so people couldn't. By the time they come up to fight you, they're tired. But by, the, by the time they come out to Staten Island, they, they they can't remember why they want to beat me up in the first place. <laughs> well and, played, well played. And you know, like I was saying before, like um, reading that little paragraph from the letter that Bruce Lee wrote to uh, Taki Kimura, he wrote, um, "It will concentrate on the root of things: rhythm, timing, distance." Well, you know what? Those those are the root of things. Of course, they're principles. Any physical activity, any physical activity. Is going to be rooted, quote unquote, rooted in those roots. You know, one of the ways I, I teach the idea of um, distance, timing, and rhythm, and this ties into what you said, Alex, about, you know, we find so many similarities because what, what we both do are, are systems based on movement, you know, and how I like to teach, like the idea of broken rhythm. Fighters, guys come and join a school, they, they don't understand broken rhythm. And I'll ask them what their favorite sport is. And um, so if they say they like basketball. And I say, okay, picture Jordan, Michael Jordan with a basketball. And I know nothing about basketball, but I've seen video of Michael Jordan. And he's coming down the court. And just before he's about to throw, throw the, the, the ball up for, his, uh, for the bucket, he kind of like stops and makes a fake movement to throw the ball. Sometimes to pass the ball, to shoot the ball. And the defender will jump to defend it. But Michael Jordan didn't do anything. He didn't go. He didn't throw the ball. He didn't jump up. The f- and then when the defender's on his way down, then Jordan goes up and just goes right over his head and puts the ball in. Right. Beautiful that's, analogy. It's, that's broken rhythm found within a basketball situation. We need to do with that. This is what we're looking to do in Jeet Kune Do. When we break rhythm, we, we, we break our own rhythm to confound your movements, to get you. Now, you we, we break rhythm in, in Jeet Kune Do for, 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 for many goals. I mean, the ultimate goal is to hit you. But I will break rhythm to get, get, to get my opponent to have his weight loaded up on one foot. Now, it's not always so easy to do that, but... It's, you know, it's, it's part of, it's part of, uh, what we do, you know, uh, sorry, folks, the phone rang, I, <laughs> I'm not stopping. Um, you know, if, if we break rhythm to, 
to get your defenses to move to a different place. Like I'll I'll break rhythm to get my guy's hands to come down. I'll I'll break rhythm to get to get my I say my guy it's my opponent, um, or my training partner to get him to load his weight up on one feet one foot and then either go or in that direction or against that direction depending on how you look at strategy. You know and I, and I like to use sports analogies all the time for teaching martial arts. And because it's all based on the root of things, and the root of thing is found in what you do, anything that's the truth, anything that's the truth is going to have the roots in it. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, if you talk to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy, he may have different terms for rhythm, timing, and distance, but he's, he understands them. Mike Tyson understands distance, timing, and rhythm. He can't spell, especially the word rhythm. There's no way Tyson can spell distance, timing, and rhythm, but he understands it. And if you don't believe him, dare him to punch you. you know, sure, sure. He knows, the, he knows the exact moment to throw his punch from what distance while moving to hit you in a way that you swore he was going to do something else and your arms are going in a different direction. Right. Go, go on YouTube and, and do a search for Mike Tyson uppercut. And you'll see how he breaks rhythm and sets up that uppercut. Sure. And that's why we knew, you and I, when we do talk martial arts, we find such commonalities because what we do is based on this whole idea of the root of things, you know? And it's no, it's no mistake that, you know, Bruce Lee came from Wing Chun, so I'm sure that's where he got it from. Right. You know, um, he changed one or two things around, even, even in his notes, you know, uh, not to take this too much further, but like um, in Jeet Kune Do, everybody in JKD talks about how uh, what we do is a simple, direct... Simple, direct, and non-classical. And then I'm reading David Peterson's book. And in it, uh, Wong Chung Lung is talking about uh, Wing Chun. It's simple, direct, and efficient. Right. So, you know, and, and it makes perfect sense. And maybe in the next podcast, I'll go through what JKD has looked at as simple, direct, and non-classical. Because it actually is a pretty good discussion. But um, when, we talk, when you talk to people that are doing something that's physical and... It's not, so it's not just physical, but it's, it's competitive against another person. Then the, then, and they're doing it in a real way. So it's not pre-programmed bullshit. You're going to find the root of things. And it's through understanding the roots of things. It's through understanding the, the manipulation and controlling of the roots of things. That what we do in Big JKD, and I, it's what I call my Jeet Kune Do system. I call it Big JKD. It's the name of my Kung Fu family. Well, how we teach JKD is through the manipulation and control of, of what, the, the root of things. You know, and that's what I've learned from my Sifu, Steve Golden. You know, even though he doesn't let me call him Sifu. <laughs> anyway. How traditional of you. Yeah, I know. So. It's all, you know, he, with him, it was the exact opposite with Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah. Quick story. He said when Bruce Lee opened up the Chinatown school, they were all friends with Bruce Lee beforehand because um, Bruce used to visit up in Ed Parker's uh, Kempo school. And they were all students of Parker Kempo. And um, Park, Ed Parker was off doing the whole Hollywood thing. So he wasn't, you know, around as much as he used to be. And Bruce Lee used to come up and spar and things to that effect. So when Bruce Lee opened the school, you know, Dan Inosanto, who was one of the, the head instructors of Parker Kempo, you know, brought all the guys down there. Bremer and Petit and Hartzell and Steve Bolden over to Bruce Lee's open house kind of thing. And when they all signed up for classes, in the first lesson, Bruce Lee starts off with, at least according to what 
Steve tells me, when I believe him 100%, he starts off with, so, in my system, you refer to me as Sifu. And they said, okay, Bruce. And he said, no, 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 you have to call me Sifu. And he was like, and they were like, right, right, sure, Bruce, whatever you say. So like by the third night, he was like, all right, fuck it. Just call me Bruce. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I, I think we have uh, uh, a, a interesting final question that we're supposed to tackle here. Yes, I want to preface it with um, the reason why the question is being asked. Um, so I have a little bit of a, a side passion. I like to play guitar. And... Um, a fellow martial artist and um, and friend of mine, Anthony Iglesias. I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm saying that name wrong for asking, making me talk about this topic. So Anthony, <laughs> I hope I am saying your name, last name wrong, Anthony Iglesias. Almost like Enrico, but not quite as cool. Um, <laughs> he had offered me some excellent advice on guitar playing, and as payment for this advice, he said I had to answer this question on the podcast. And the question is. Would Bruce Lee be a Jedi or a Sith? Sith. Sith, and why? So, wow. of course, I had to even Google what Jedi and Sith were, and apparently they're from either Star Trek or Star Wars. I don't know. Oh, I was unbelievable. I, I was too blasphemy. busy. I was too busy having sex with girls back then to watch movies. <laughs> so, but apparently, you. you know, Alex. Alex knows what these things are. So he has a. He has assured me that Bruce Lee would be a Sith. Yes. And yes. Alex can talk about it for 30 seconds. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yeah, of course, it's going to make people upset because everybody, you know, wants Bruce Lee to be the almighty hero of everything. But I mean, look, Sith Lords are attracted to or, or Sith in general, they're attracted to power. Bruce Lee was very interested in, in power and being more powerful. They're, I guess you could say, more attracted to material things. Bruce Lee wanted to, you know, earn a million dollars or ten million. What, what was in his definite chief aim? Was it ten million dollars? A million dollars? I don't remember. Yeah, um, I don't remember. But you know, he was he was motivated by wealth. He was motivated by power. He was motivated by prestige. And uh, I uh, would definitely say that he was a Sith. Now, hey, most Sith people they they started out as as good. They're you know they were. You know, Anakin was a nice, nice young pod racing boy when he was young, and then he got twisted. Uh, God knows why. Uh, the stories uh, in the films didn't make it too clear. Um, but I would say that Bruce Lee is definitely, definitely a Sith Lord. By the way, I think most high-level martial artists are actually Sith Lords. Everyone wants them to be Yoda. Everyone wants them to be a Jedi. Uh, but I know, um, at least in the case with uh, some people I've learned from, uh, they definitely weren't Yoda. They're definitely, uh, definitely Sith lords for sure, one hundred percent. Now, is this from that's my final answer? Is this from the original Star Trek or Star Trek Next Generation? Oh man, you are killing me! You are killing me! All right, how dare you? That is, you know, first of all, I don't know anything about Star Trek. All right, so if I had a conversation about Star Trek, I would sound like you right now talking about Star Wars. <laughs> So, uh, but still, at least I know the difference between the two. Oh, man. All right, folks. Well, listen, if you get a chance, please go to um, facebook.com slash dudes of kung fu. Yeah, we're going to put up the information there for the uh, uh, the fundraising appeal for the Wong Shenlong documentary, which is uh, headed by uh, David Peterson that we talked about earlier uh, today. And I'm uh, also going to throw a link to the podcast that I was on, which you should absolutely get. It's facebook.com. Slash yep. a mind for fitness. Awesome. I got to check that out too. I haven't heard that yet. 
Um, also, a couple things. Uh, remind you guys, July 8th, if you're in New York at the Museum of the Moving Image, uh, I will be doing uh, Yip Man Fact and Fiction at around 7.30. It's Friday night. Come bring your friends. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll, sh I'll show you the uh, uh, my do upcoming documentary trailer. We'll, we'll talk about Yip Man, show, show the movies and all that kind of good stuff. And, and uh, um, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. And I'm making you a promise that if you go to this and in front of other people refer to Alex as Great Grandmaster, he will autograph anything you put in front of him. Oh, wow. Wow. But, but you really have to be able to call him Great Grandmaster in front of other people. Every time you say it, you're adding one more title to it. This is ridiculous. First it was just Grandmaster, that was Great Grandmaster, then it's going to be Almighty Great Grandmaster. All I'm saying, if you could just go up to Alex and refer to him as, excuse me, my lord. It, with the uh, great grandmaster Alex, who's by the way, people don't notice his name is Alex Richter. He's actually named after Mike Richter, who was the goalie for the for the New York Rangers when they won the Stanley Cup. But uh, New anyway. York Rangers, that's baseball, isn't it? I'm gonna hurt you. I am gonna hurt you. <laughs> I had to get you back for that Star Trek nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. I know we did, and uh, we'll catch you next week. All right, take care, guys. Bye bye. Big guy, guys. Boom. That was awesome, brother.